You're listening to Risky Behavior, where no subject is off limits. Sit back, tune in, and enjoy a beverage with us as we explore controversial issues and answer your health and wellness concerns, ranging from nutrition and exercise to sex and prescription drugs. I am Dr. Shetha Chakraborty, a national media risk expert regularly on CNN, BBC, Fox News, and more. I'm here with my co-host, Dr. Taylor Wallace, who's seen regularly on The Dr. Oz Show. He's off this week, though, so I'm flying solo. Together, we'll loosen lips and spill tea with special guests that you won't want to miss. Hi, listeners. A quick note to mention, this episode was recorded before the COVID lockdown. It may make you nostalgic of all things bars and socializing, but we'll be able to visit our favorite bars again in some capacity sooner than later. Remember that alcohol consumption, whether it's pre, during, or post-COVID, is a delicate balance between enjoyment and hazard. This episode and its insights ring true now as much as ever, so enjoy responsibly. So today I'm really thrilled to introduce my two guests, but let's explain why we're having this conversation first. We're going to be talking about alcohol consumption and the risk that alcohol poses to intentional and unintentional injury, given that this is a happy hour show and given that we are we are recording this in a hotel where there's three unique bars, we thought it was prudent to have this conversation. We know there's a strong correlation between alcohol and injury. The more people drink, the greater there is risk of violence, road traffic incidents, and others, other causes. So for young people, most alcohol consumption happens in bars and clubs where there's a lot of crowding and poor lighting. So the two guests I have here today are Jackson Crowder Hello. and Deke Dunn. Hello. Both of them are proud bartenders at Allegory here in Eaton Hotel, which was also named one of the top 15 bars in Washington, D.C. That's awesome, you guys. Oh, thank yeah, you. Thank we you. appreciate it. So let's get into this. We know now that consuming alcohol enhances risk to human health, yet you're both very good at what you do and you're proud of what you do. So how do you justify your craft given the risk associated with it? Well, it's, it's important for people to have an, uh, an avenue to unwind. Um, alcohol, when used in moderation, can be stress release. Stress release. Uh, it creates an environment for people to you know, go and socialize. One of my favorite uh, bartenders, always uh, a guy named Southern Teague up in New York, he always says, people want to drink, they can just go home and buy a bottle on the way home and drink. But you don't go to a bar to drink, you go to a bar to socialize, to be in an environment with other people. Uh, it's, you know, energizing, it's uh, therapeutic, and um, that's that's one of the reasons why people go to bars. It's so, social ties, right? Yeah, social ties, absolutely. It's, it's, a, it's a watering hole. Right. Gather. So the people are looking for that interaction, person to person interaction, you know, everybody lives so much of their lives on screens these days that, you know, right. that person to person interaction Guilty. can be in short supply. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, we live in DC, it's a high stress town. So stress is in great supply and sometimes fun can be in somewhat lesser of a supply. So we really just do our best to provide a little bit of fun. Yeah. Mm. So, okay. I was re- doing some research, um, leading up to this conversation today. And I didn't even realize just how bad it was in some places, and it varies, right? But Washington D.C. has been consistently the second, coming in second in terms of if we if we're going to talk about D.C. as a state, it's the second state to Wisconsin for the most alcohol consumption. So, what is unique, in your opinion, from your vantage point um, here in Allegory and as bartenders and managers of Allegory, that is causing that 
Are we uniquely stressed out in this town, you think? I mean, I think so. I mean, the stakes are higher. Mm-hmm. I mean, 100%. I mean, everyone has stakes in their jobs anywhere in the world. But, you know, in D.C., people give a certain level of gravity to what they do. You know, the level of importance for people um, is really high. Um, you know, I used to work in politics, so, like, that, that stress is just, like, extremely high. The, the expectations are high. Um, you know, fear of failure is high. So I think I think people add a lot of the stress onto themselves, but also uh, their jobs sometimes uh, demand higher levels of you know, work rate or uh, whatever the case may be. So I, I, I see it, you know, as a bartender, like I see people, they come in and they, they're really pining for that cocktail, you know, when they come in, they really are. Or that and shot do you of beer. see, like, have you witnessed just kind of the stress, what you're doing is giving them a stress relief, right? Mm-hmm. And can you almost see it kind of lifted off their shoulders? A hundred percent. Sometimes people walk through the door and immediately it's like the weight of the world has been lifted off of their shoulders oh, yeah. <laughs> right away. Suddenly they're in an environment where they don't have to worry about their phone. They don't have to worry about what's going on in the office. It can just be them and the few other people they're with. And that's the only thing in the world that matters mm-hmm. to them. And I think after a really, really long day of high stress work, that's really all you people want. Right. Yeah. I appreciate that. But then where is where does it cross the line? When does it get to too much? Right. Yeah. Because there's something to be said for getting getting people drink or drinks, but then continuing to give give people drinks who are already intoxicated, that's where that correlation becomes even more extreme from drunkenness as opposed to just like enjoying a cocktail, but from being drunk to getting physically injured in some way, right? So how do yeah. you draw the line? How do you know? Well, I mean, we, we've both taken training on, you know, spotting yeah, you know, signs of inebriation. Yeah, what is that? Tell us that. I, I don't think that our listeners yeah. actually know I what mean, that's I mean, you like. got to do tips training. Yeah, tips uh, training tips is one of them. To, be, to have a manager's license in D.C. and really in every state, it's going to have its own equivalent of it. You have to pass tips training, which teaches you uh, signs of intoxication teaches you ways to you know mitigate uh, those sorts of things from happening. Teaches you proper interventional techniques, all those sorts of things. So if you're going to be a manager, you have to have that training. You have to have passed. Yeah. Okay. And also, and also so being aware, like for? Manner- we need to know manner- to be able mannerisms, to like <laughs> slurred speech, find loops uh, in the system, slumping in chair, slumping in chairs, changes in demeanor, um, falling asleep at the bar. Falling asleep at the bar is a pretty <laughs> obvious one, you know. It's like. But um, also, like, how they're interacting with people, you know, their voice is getting louder when they're telling stories, like, um, are they getting more robust? Are they, like, you know, all these different little signs that you, you have to keep an eye out on. Because one thing you're doing is you're watch, looking out for their health and well-being, but you're also looking out for the health and well-being of other patrons, right. which is also a huge concern of ours. So we have to keep our eyes on our patrons and our guests. You know, we have to be hawkish in, in a sense that we need to, like, always be actively watching how people are interacting, always be actively, you know, uh, trying to smell out any potential conflict. Um, and also, yeah, keeping people healthy and safe, which is, uh, you know, vastly important because we're in the business of making people happy. We're not in the business of hurting people. So, right. Yeah. yeah. So, which, I mean, it's, it's a, there's a distinction though, for sure. There's a, there's a line there that you can cross, you know? And when so. people go out to your bar, they're looking for a good time. They want to have fun, but they have an expectation of safety. That is perfectly reasonable. And it is up to us as the people who are you know running the operation, the people who are hosting the party, as it were, to make sure that they are safe, they are having a good time and that uh, no other you know, outside forces are uh, making them feel unsafe, making them feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. too, which is why it's so important to really monitor uh, for those signs of uh, yeah. intoxication or having been overserved. 
So full yeah. disclosure is that I drink at your bar frequently. Yeah. And you've never seen any of these signs from me, right? No. <laughs> no you're, you're very well behaved. Not yet. See, mom? Anyway. Um, but like, doesn't that mean that you have to have a real a breadth of skills here? Yeah. That's beyond just creating this the fa fantastic cocktails that you do that got you into the top 15 bars of Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. How is a training enough? Do you think that does it? Uh, you have to care. You really do. Um, like in Allegory, we pride ourselves on getting such a like heightened bar experience from the moment you walked in the moment you leave. You know, we want you to be talking about our bar 15 years later when you're sitting around the table at Thanksgiving talking about that one like, you know, cocktail you had at Allegory, you know, that one time. Like that's the type of like experience you're trying to create for people. So with that being said, we have to truly legitimately care about their well-being for them to have a good experience. If our guests are stumbling out blackout and not remembering their experience or they get hurt and remember us poorly, like obviously we just want people to have like the best experience and leaving our bar in a harmful way doesn't It's do like lose-lose for yeah, everyone. It's lose-lose for everybody. Yeah. They could get hurt, you know, then, you know. Obviously, we care about the person, but we also care about the reputation of our bar and like the experience people are having. So, it's yeah. so easy for bars to, even if a guest has been observed, to keep serving because you know you, anyway, you keep selling, you keep making more money, all those sorts of things. Uh, you know, economically, that sort of irresponsibility can be in your favor. But I think that's also a very, very short-sighted approach. You're going to acquire a very, very negative reputation, and I think a lot of times your customers probably aren't going to want to come back. If, oh yeah. They're just, you know, waking up every day after going to your bar feeling horrible or they have a very negative experience like that. So this sort of uh, responsibility that we place a very uh, heavy emphasis on in our bar and all of our uh, bartenders, you know, are operating on a very, very similar level. Uh, it's just a part of almost our curation, like Deke was saying, of a great experience. So I think I find that remarkable that you share in the responsibility of the patron's experience. So it's not just on them. You're saying that you will take e some sort of accountability in how they enjoy their night and then their memory of the evening. Yeah, because that's really what keeps them coming back. Yeah, like if if I see somebody even like gain, you know, maybe a little red in the face, and they're they, they have a little bit of slurred speech, but I don't think they're at that point where they need to like you know, be cut off. Maybe they have one more in them. You know, I don't, if they ask for another drink, I don't make it high proof. Maybe I make it low proof. Uh, low, I low, low ABV. I bartenders did that, didn't well, they? Well, no, I mean, I'll, I'll be, I'll be abruptly honest with people. Yeah. And just be like, hey, instead of making that really high proof rum daiquiri, here's a sherry daiquiri. That's 20% alcohol as opposed to 69% alcohol. Oh, that so explains exactly. last night. I knew I was drinking water by the uh, end of it. Those were not vodka <laughs> We are very transparent. We don't, we're not, we're not trying to swindle anybody. We will tell you when we're like proofing down your drink because, but that's also like a growing trend in our industry where like a lot of us, when we, when we're not working, when we go out to drink, we'll drink low proof, low ABV alcohol by volume cocktails. And there's also a trend growing right now where there's a, you know, no ABV or no proof or non-alcoholic NAs, non-alcoholic drinks, you know. Um, those are a lot of tools that we use to like, you know, just to control check on, the, just to check on people and control, control the experience. Control individuals yeah. the experience yeah. in the yeah. crowd too exactly. and other patrons. Yeah. Actually, because yeah, we're not just worried about the one person, we're worried about the entire bar. Exactly. So. Right. One person being, you know, horribly overserved can ruin the experience for everybody in the bar. Too. So you have to not think about it in terms of just you know, one person to one person to one person. You're thinking about it as are all of your guests having a good time. And the you know, no-proof, uh, non-alcoholic, spirit-free, whatever you want to call it, cocktail, that can be a great tool in your arsenal for this. 
Uh, it's a great way to you know help maybe control the flow of uh, flow of alcohol going over while still providing somebody with a really really good and thoughtfully made product. Right. Too. Mm-hmm. So, and not everybody drinks. Not everybody wants to drink, but that doesn't mean that they can't go out to a cocktail bar and still have something great. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. So how do you actually? It's so when I was doing research for this particular topic, um, one of the biggest challenges that a lot of those who have been looking into alcohol related intentional unintentional injury mm-hmm. was the inability for bartenders to be able to stop serving or to communicate that they are going to be stopping service. Yeah. Tell me about that and your personal experiences. What's it been like? I mean, it's not easy. I mean, you're telling somebody sometimes, I mean, you try to, you try to avoid like any sort any type of embarrassment. I mean, you, uh, you know, you can, some people use humor, like, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, that was probably your last drink, you know, like you, you just like try to lighten it up a little bit and like, you know, let's uh, let's get some food in you. Maybe you have a glass of water, you know, right. or sometimes you can maybe pull them aside individually to avoid embarrassment from their friends. Because like that's where you run into conflict the most is when you like embarrass them, embarrass the guests. So we just try to find like some people have like everyone has their own different approach. I just I kill people with kindness. I just I'm so nice that they can't you be mad at me. You are so nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's my approach. You can definitely confirm um, that. Uh, Polly, one of the other bartenders at Allegory, he kills people with uh, with comedy. So, um, shouldn't probably use the phrase kill people. Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, Talking but yeah, fatalities here, gentlemen. yeah, no, I mean, everyone, um, everyone has their own approach and everyone has their own strategy and you have to find what works for your own personality. Cause there's no one fit, one size fits all. It's an art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Jackson. Uh, it's, it's never a comfortable experience. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you are looking, you know, your loyal guests in the eye saying, Hey, I am not going to give you any more. Right. Uh, never comfortable. People will frequently get pretty upset. You understand why they're getting upset, but as you are, you know, to return to this party analogy, you are the host of the party. It's up to you to be the responsible one. And it's up to you to essentially be the authority figure. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a lot of pushback, but when somebody has been overserved or is time for somebody to stop drinking, it's time to stop. Yeah. Right. There's not really any gray area. Yeah. About you, that. It's, yeah you're cut off i'm sorry but that's just what it is okay so tell me some stories oh i have a good one. <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> this is just a, a, just we don't have a, to use names just we're a couple weeks ago i had uh, i had two ladies behind the bar together but this yeah, one. <laughs> i had uh, two ladies sitting in my bar and you know they had obviously like clearly been drinking before that so um the one lady um ordered a oh, we call it omakase cocktail where they allow us to create a cocktail for them based on their personal preferences i knew they were pretty drunk um at that point so i made like a collins uh riff where i split the gin with sherry sherry's low alcohol content so i low proofed it but like it wasn't being deceitful because there was still the gin in there it wasn't like dropping the proof super low they kept grabbing stuff off my bar like (laughs) grabbing tools and like um, grabbing uh, my shakers and listeners, that is unacceptable do behavior. Not do not do Please don't. Please don't. Do that. <laughs> this is this is our office. Please don't mess with our tools. We don't come to your desk and rearrange everything. <laughs> do not take everything. your stapler. Yeah. Yeah. Do not touch the cherry. Exactly. The cherries. And the uh, <laughs> the final. And I I you know told them a couple times like hey you know please just don't touch anything on the bar you know I wanted them to you know have fun because like it's okay to be goofy in a bar but like once you start you know really impeding my ability to do my job then it becomes a problem. And the, the final straw was she grabbed a drink I was making for another guest. Oh, shit. And I was not going to serve her again after the drink she was drinking. So I'm like, okay, well, this is, this yeah. is the line. So I took it back from her. I'm like, you know, uh, I really appreciate y'all. Uh, I really do. Um, 
you know, we've had this conversation a couple times now, like, um, we're just gonna stick with water from here on out. Like, please hang out at the bar and like enjoy our, enjoy our bar. But like, I, I'm just not gonna serve you a drink again. You right. know? And they were just like, not that happy about it. Right. And they kind of like molded over all the blah, 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 you know, had this little chat with themselves. And then they stood up and she looked at me and said, uh, your hair is stupid. <gasps> and <laughs> no, she didn't. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it unacceptable. I was shocked to my core. No, it was, it was funny. And I was just like, you know, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Have a wonderful evening. I was standing three feet from Deke the whole time. He was polite as can be yeah. throughout the entire experience. But uh, she clearly thought that his hair looked stupid. <laughs> Felt that it was important that he know in that moment. <laughs> because that's relevant. Yes. Oh, exactly. absolutely. Absolutely. That was going to change his mind and be like, oh, you know what? I, I was wrong. I actually will serve you. I, I lay in my bed at night staring at my roof, <laughs> thinking about that comment and wondering to myself, is my hair actually stupid? Well, to give her credit, we are talking about it weeks later <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> to, to a wide pretty wide audience she won um okay. I think your hair looks nice for what it's worth thanks buddy no your hair looks awesome <laughs> um okay so tell me a little bit about what you've experienced in terms of the actual risk correlation here between alcohol consumption and related injuries right so this is like an annoying customer who's drank too much where has it has it gone to in your experiences to the point of hurting a patron hurting themselves or hurting others around them? And that can be physical injury. That can be uh, and you probably don't know what oh, happens yeah. after you leave the bar. Right. But sometimes don't they? Well, sometimes you want to come back and investigate the, like the beginning of how some sure. incidents started and maybe oh, yeah. it started at your bar. I mean, there's if I if I have the opportunity, I'll call somebody an Uber. Um, you know, get them a lift, try to figure out where they live. Or if they're with somebody, make sure they're in good hands. You know, we don't want people stumbling out of our bar in dangerous states. So we try to mitigate that damage as much as possible. Mitigate the danger, I should say. That's also one of the nice parts about our bar being in a hotel is if all their options fail, we are able to maybe work with the front desk. Like, hey, maybe we can get them a room. <laughs> yeah, like this person clearly could potentially hurt themselves. Like, can we just get them a room? Okay, so I want to mention a couple stats that I found, mm -hmm. which was which were really surprising, right? So in the United States, this was research coming out of the British Medical Journal, um, and it showed this was uh, some research done in 2015, and we'll make sure this is in the show notes as well, so listeners can look this up. And I'm just going to give a couple, but globally, this is an issue, right? Yeah. This isn't unique to the United States or the UK or even developed countries. This is all over. Um, but in the USA in 2015, 12% of patrons exiting nightclubs reported physical or sexual aggression. Yeah. Um, it's worse in Brazil, and that involves a lot of uh, driving-related incidents. And then the UK, over 80% of violence and pedestrian fatalities on weekend nights were related to alcohol. Um, Denmark, even Denmark, you know, we, we think about like Scandinavian countries as being above the board and just doing everything right. But... Um, they have 58% of door supervisors and 17% of bar servers have reported being physically assaulted at work. Yeah. So those are a couple examples that I just wanted mm -hmm. to throw out there because what, I mean, does that, does that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, I mean, I've, I've been, you know, I, I do believe that uh, certain people are like targeted more than others. Like I'm a, pretty big guy i'm six foot three um so usually if i i'm not the like classic case for you know somebody being targeted for like sexual assault <laughs> but it happens to me you know people grab me uh you know uh i used to work security front door seriously mm -hmm. oh yeah wait uh, this is so fascinating and, Women, it's not just us oh yeah it's i not mean just like five five and under yeah i mean granted 
like I said, I, I don't want to somehow, you know, make, you know, make this like, oh, make light of, yeah, make light yeah. of like, uh, and any other people, but like it, it happens to me. Uh, it also happens, you know, we, I've worked with plenty of women that this happens to, and, you know, we just try, try to create a space where like, they feel comfortable enough that we all have each other's back, right. that we'll all stand up for each other in the face of that type of, uh, situation. So if I have a server who doesn't feel comfortable, I have to, uh, and she's not doing anything about it. I have to be assertive and like going and just like talk to the guests and be like, listen, in our bar, we don't allow people to touch, touch our bartenders and servers. Um, I mean, this is just like a formal warning. If it happens again, then we're going to kick you out. Okay. You know, we have to be like so stern that team mentality going on. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and if it's aggressive, like fr from the get go, then they're, they're gone. They right. have to go. That's, yeah, like, that's the only way it works. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. That, uh, that team mentality that Zeke was talking about that's so so important i mean deke and i are both you know larger guys so these are things that i mean people are aggressive with us in bars somewhat less too but you know we've both worked with you know all manner of people and it, a lot of times it can be you know or really on even if you're a bartender or if you're in a managerial capacity it's very much up to you to ensure the safety of your employees so mm -hmm. if right. somebody is making them feel uncomfortable somebody is being aggressive with them it's your responsibility to intervene that can be as simple as, hey, like, why don't you take a different table? I'll take this table right now or something yeah. like that. Or it can be, you know, a more formal, much more stern warning or just call security and get them out right now. Yeah, it depends on the, the level. You know, if it's like a, a playful, like, pat on the shoulder. Right. That seems, you know, non-threatening. You know, that's still unacceptable. Yeah. Um, but oh, like, that's good to yeah. know. Okay. Yeah, he's just like, don't don't ever touch the bartender service. Yeah, keep just your hands to yeah. yourself. Not yeah. a lot of people know this, but I was a bartender. For oh, a couple shit. years, right. yeah. When I was doing, I had to pay my way through my PhD a little bit when I was in the UK. <laughs> and it really sucks being a bartender in the UK because nobody tips. Oh. The UK generally, nobody tips. Yeah. So I would just make the easy drinks for the guys because they all ordered a Jai and Coke. And then the girls, do you like my British accent? That was a British no. accent. Okay. <laughs> and then the girls would yeah, get like it. French martinis and like Cosmopolitans and I would always mess that up. But it worked out because it was like female bartenders, male bartenders, and we would just like serve the opposite sex. So it worked out. Um, but there was an incident. There was a few incidents where the patrons were inappropriate. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for the team and the staff and the security there that not only handled the situation in that moment, but also walked me home at the end of the night, oh, yeah. that could have been a problem. Yeah. So it's good to see that that is something that is is obviously um, something that is happening, being replicated and also being scaled, right? These yeah. are best practices. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Best practices should be industry standard right. across the board. Uh, right. yeah, I mean, is there an I, industry standard on this? We're moving in the in that direction. Like, um, like we're a small team, so we get to implement our like philosophy and vision fairly easily, and everyone's bought into our system. So it's it's really easy for us to have like a really strong system in place. I think it's slowly starting to permeate out into like sports bars, clubs, those types of places. I, I want to say that it's getting a bit better. At least we're, we're creating more awareness at the very least. I don't know if it's getting any better, but at the very least, like there's more programs now, like, you know, safe bar. It's mm -hmm. like a program that they'll come in and teach your staff how to handle these types of situations. So I think the access to information is greater than it's ever been. Um, there's certainly more resources more available, resources available uh, yeah. to a team, a manager, to an owner than there ever have been. Yeah, so I know it. Definitely positive signs. Like awesome. in, in the cocktail world, which we're focused, like everyone that is very aware of these types of things. And it, it seems like that everyone in the cocktail world is like very much on board with these ideas. Like I said, I don't know how it permeates into like the, the other bar cultures, but 
yeah, I, I like to think it's getting maybe a bit better. So what do you think about the bigger issues that we started this conversation off with? And what can you do at at the kind of bar individual bar level versus what do you think we could do at a city level, um, state level even to kind of reduce the that relationship between alcohol consumption and injury? Right. So do we increase the drinking age? Is that an idea that could actually work? Because the the number one risk factor, mm -hmm. right, for leading to death and injury in 15 to 24 year olds is still alcohol. Yeah. So, I mean, somebody rational might say, and obviously we know better, it's not necessarily going to work. Why don't we just increase the drinking age? Why don't we make alcohol more expensive? What are some ideas that you guys have? Have you thought about it? Well, I was going to say just on that, um, I mean, I, I abused alcohol at a massive level <laughs> underage, starting at like the age of 16. We're, we're laughing. But it's um, not funny. It's, yeah, no, I mean, it <laughs> was I, I was heavy, heavy binge drinking in in high school and college before I was twenty one. So I don't know if increasing the uh, that's anecdotal, but increase I don't know if increasing the drinking age would be helpful. I actually am of the mindset that if you um, somehow destigmatize it, um, you know, decrease the drinking age, uh, and then like yeah, destigmatize it. Make don't make it this forbidden fruit. Have those conversations. Um, you know be able to talk about it. maybe have a glass of wine when you're you know 11 or 12 and you know obviously don't abuse you're alcohol. so european right now I can't <laughs> but i mean just like just talk about it and you know that way when they get to high school or college you don't just fly off the rails and just get blackout right um because i mean that's what a lot of people did in college i mean that, that first couple weeks of college when kids get out from underneath their parental supervision like so many kids end up at the hospital because right. they just don't know how to control it and but they they're going to do it because you know, there's no control now. Okay, so, so on the record, do not increase the drinking age. I, I mean, I don't think that would make a significant impact. Uh, I actually think that might hinder the situation further. Um, yeah. I, I'm definitely inclined to agree with you on yeah. that increasing the drinking age. Uh, all you're doing is creating a larger number of people who don't have the opportunity to drink in safe environments. Right. Yeah. Drinking. Yeah. Drinking in safe environments. Being being having mentors in the like having your parent being a mentor uh, for as far as drinking habits are concerned. Right. Maybe like, just having like practice. Yeah. Having that like glass of wine, you yeah. know, for dinner and not, you know. And not, you know, just drinking an entire, like, two bottles. <laughs> right. And to circle back to what you were saying about being very, uh, very European right now, in France, people learn how to drink before they learn how to drive. Right. So that's, I think that's a very, very healthy practice. So, yeah. specifically, though, in the situations that you find yourself on most um, evenings as mm -hmm. a work in yeah. allegory, what, what, how do you make it a safer environment? Because it's crowded. There's... Um, sometimes additional lights and all kinds of like special effects that can go on. Maybe not an allegory, but generally in nightlife scenes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the combination of that and then also um, like low lighting, are these things you think about? Like how do you create an environment that's a little bit healthier and safer for patrons? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge concern because, I mean, it doesn't matter how many staff you have on. If you're like way over capacity and people are packed in there, you have no idea what's happening in, like in the middle you know, it's like on a dance floor. Right. Like you, you can have all the staff in the world, but you're not gonna be able to spot somebody getting, you know, you know, uh, made uncomfortable or assaulted or something on a packed dance floor. So I think like moderating how many people are in your space, uh, having adequate staff. Um, yeah. Not creating those blind spots, like being conscious, like when you're building out a bar, like being conscious of the space, um, and the safety that it entails, like in our bar and, 
if you go and stand in any corner, you can see any corner of the bar. It's right. it's a big like open square. Obviously, it's like it's dim lit, but you know you you can once your eyes adjust, you can like see everything that's happening. So we just we discussed it as like diligent as possible. You gotta like constantly train your team up. Um, like I said, bring Safe Bar in and have them train your team. Um, talk about it in pre shift. Uh, talk about strategies. You know. Um, just do like all these little things. Uh, but you know, like in those bigger environments, it's difficult. I think like regulating the door and making sure not, right. not too, like too many people come in or, you know, talking to your bartenders about over-serving, like all those things have to like coincide to create yeah. like a it's healthy, safe experience. It's actually interesting to experience. learn that that's not necessarily mandated. Oh yeah. There's a yeah. lot of places that probably don't even talk it really about varies. it. really yeah. varies. Yeah. Yep. Everybody has a capacity that's given to them. It's part of fire code. A lot of people ignore it right. <laughs> too, all over the world. Uh, a big part of making sure that you have a safe environment is making sure that you are adhering to that capacity, even if you could make a little bit more money by packing it in. Right. So, it's so that's what I wonder. Decision. Like, do you think do you think certain bartenders are like, oh, well, even though this person is incapacitated, one more drink means like more cash for us this evening. Oh, Does yeah. that happen pretty frequently? Absolutely. Oh, there are sure. there are plenty of bad actors in our Right. I mean I've I've heard horror stories from people with, with other bartenders. To bring you back for another session then because oh, we didn't God. even get into some of these yeah. stories. Oh man. <laughs> like I've, I've, I I take my job so seriously that when I hear those stories I like get almost physically ill. So I'm wow. like, how could you do that? Like their safety is in your hands. Like why would you ever do that to somebody? Like, yeah, there's bartenders that will take advantage of people. Right. And their right. drunkenness. So that's something that we always have to be on the lookout for. So I love so. that you said that because every single profession, career, whatever it is, whatever your craft is, has an oath of conduct. Mm -hmm. As scientists, it's to seek out the truth. Journalists, you know, very similarly. Uh, doctors, it's do no harm. Yep. So what is it as bartenders and managers? What is your kind of like oath to your profession and to your customer? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, what does our oath look like? I mean, the, the it might vary. Well, I mean, the, yeah. the idea is like, mm -hmm drinking better while like and focusing on you know being healthy like there's such a big push in our community right now to like what does it look like to drink and also be healthy like from a work-life balance standpoint from a um you know consumption standpoint like uh what does that look like because we want people to enjoy alcohol but we're also acutely aware of the fact that our product is very harmful i mean it's it's a very serious issue so we i think I don't think we have like a like an oath or anything, but I think everyone's just so at least people are moving in the direction to being a lot more hyper conscious about consuming safely and in, in, in the in the healthiest way possible. And so it's like I said, we we touched on that, but like no non alcoholics, uh, low alcohol by volume cocktails, using like pushing these trends forward so that we move into a uh, environment where you know people are drinking maybe a little bit less drinking healthier being safer that's good i like yeah. that a lot yeah. jackson say last words uh, to deke's point is to make it count uh a lot of the stuff that goes in that cocktail is not very good for you but you're in an environment where you're having a lot of fun hopefully you're in an environment where you feel uh, like you are safe that you like to come back and you're drinking a well curated drink that's in front of you so make it the best drink possible make the experience as good and as safe as you can make it count 
Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen, so much. I Thank love you. that. I think our yeah. listeners probably got a lot out of that. Um, they know not to drink and drive after this. We hope well, you're never. enjoying it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Never. never. Hey, Uber and Lyft. Like, like come on. <laughs> yeah. Don't have Lyft. that Lindsay please, Lohan please, moment. Please. You do not yeah. need to drive yourself. Also, you are unlikely listening to this from LA. Or, I mean, likely maybe you are. Oh, Regardless true. of where you are, there is ways to get home. So, um, please... Please always exhibit responsible behavior and remember that it is supposed to be a good experience for all those who are serving you, you as a patron and those around you. That's a wrap for today. Have ideas for the show? Tweet us at Dr. Taylor Wallace. That's Dr. T-A-Y-L-O-R-W-A-L-L-A-C-E and me at Shweta C. That is S-W-E-T-A-C. Thank you for tuning in to Risky Behavior.